Welcome to the IoT Security Chats podcast, where we bring you the latest information in cyber and IoT security. From asset and vulnerability management to incident response, hear the experts talk about the latest threats affecting connected devices and how to keep your organization safe. Hi, everyone. I am Shankar, CEO and founder of Assembly. And today, I'll be personally monitoring this episode of the Security Chats podcast. Today, we're going to talk to Ed, who is the CEO and founder of Sensinet. Um, Sensinet provides the first and only third-party risk management platform built by and for healthcare providers to manage the threats to patient care that exists within an expanding ecosystem of vendors. Welcome, Ed. Thank great you. Great to have you here. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thank you. So I have a few questions that I'm just going to go through them. And, you know, like we discussed, this is a conversation. So, you know, looking forward to it. So I want to start by understanding why you started Sensinet. Um, you have had a stellar career. Uh, you might want to talk a little bit about your background. You sure. had a stellar yeah. career. So why did you leave that, start Sensinet? And what are the factors that led you to doing it? Yeah, I actually had an interesting uh, path to get to technology and become, a, I guess, quote unquote, entrepreneur, although I hate that label. Um, I prefer to say I love to solve problems and uh, I've been looking to technology to solve problems since I got out of school um, back in the 80s. And, um, you know, many people don't know this, but I, I went to an accounting school. I went to a business school and I was a writer and mm. I did not belong there and they did not belong um, it, you know, it's sort of in my, <laughs> in my worldview at the time, <laughs> but it all kind of worked out and I ended up uh, getting a degree in, uh, technical writing, which makes sense. I had a love for technology and, uh, applying it in that way made sense where I could write about technology in the way that, um, solve problems for users. So, um, it, mm. uh, it quickly turned into, because my first job was at a startup quickly turned into, uh, running all aspects of marketing. Uh, which I don't think I even had a course at school about. So I had to learn it. I'm an autodidact. I learn all by reading. I, I probably have three or four books going at one time. And um, uh, and then quickly got into products and uh, learned I was pretty good at um, not only developing products that solve problems, but also seeing market trends and being able to anticipate what what customers and markets um, needed um, over over the course of time. So, And I really love that. That, that to me gets me really excited to come into an industry and learn about it and find some of the problems and then apply automation and technology, because ultimately that's what we're doing. We're, we're taking a process that was largely manual in nature and we're automating it in some way and applying technology to that automation. So. Oh, that's great. I mean, that's a fascinating journey. You know, I met people who have gone from writing and journalism into technology, and that's a great mix because if you can master both the worlds, then you truly bring that, uh, or, you know, that comprehensive view uh, rather than like a single dimensional technology view that some people might have. That leads, leads me to a follow on question. You know, you have different backgrounds, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you have a background like this and you've started a company, you know, running a company comes with its own challenges. What is the biggest challenge you think you have faced from your perspective when you effectively have come from both a writing background and a technology background? You clearly have some people experience as well. So what is the biggest challenge you have faced when you have seen all the aspects before um, that you're faced yeah. with running Sentinel and starting Sentinel? Yeah, so so I'm a I'm a pretty passionate guy. I kind of leave. I've been I've been told I I I, uh, 
I leave my passion on my sleeve. Um, so uh, um, people know where I'm at in any given point in time. I don't tend to hide things. And, uh, you know, for me, I've got to be able to get out of bed at, you know, in the morning and uh, enjoy what I do. And, um, and I also have a attention span probably of a gnat. Like I, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I, I get bored with things quickly. So, um, you know, for me, it was, um, I'm always looking for areas that interest me and, uh, that can keep me interested for, you know, a period of time. Um, what, uh, what I found really fascinating about the problem we we're solving at Sensenet was, um, you know, it was, I, I couldn't see an end to it. Like it was that big. Mm. And even though it started off very tactical in terms of the overall problem that we were solving, it quickly evolved from a vision perspective to include many aspects of cyber and risk and uh, governance, risk and compliance. And and that's what I love about it. I love how these things, you pull a thread and you sort of all of a sudden have this complete, uh, you know, this complete suit and jacket <laughs> from this one single yeah, pull. Of absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Uh, you know, in healthcare in particular too, which is, we talked about this the other day, what I love about healthcare is you have this shared mission with your customers that in other industries just yeah. doesn't exist. And this is yeah. my second company in healthcare. I've done 11 companies. It was only the second time I've been in healthcare, but I don't think I'll ever go back to, to doing anything else because of that, um, that uniqueness of that shared mission that you have. No, I agree. And right, like we discussed uh, before, every day you wake up, you're doing something, you feel you're doing something meaningful that actually moves the needle, even by a little bit, you um, move the needle for somebody else in a positive way that can make a difference to patients somewhere. And I think that's definitely a very motivating uh, mission to actually be a part of. Yeah. Good. Oh, I was just going to add, I was going to add just in terms of the journey to Sensenet, which, which, which got me really excited about it is as I was sort of unpacking the problem and thinking about it. I always like to try to, like you, we talked about this, like I always like to try to find that connection with um, the, the emotional, the personal. Um, so then, yeah. then it becomes personal. Right. And and I quickly with sense and I quickly got there because I, I remember, you know, thinking to myself, wow, if a medical device gets hacked, um, or or a a um, health system, um, um, basically um, uh, goes out of business, or if care is disrupted because someone's on their way to a hospital and now it's under attack from ransomware and they've got to divert to another hospital, maybe the hospital is another fifty miles away, right? And every minute counts yeah. when you're in that hot, when you're in that ambulance. Um, then it's personal because that could be your mother, father, sister, brother, aunt, uncle, cousin, friend hooked up to that medical device or in that ambulance and, 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 and their life's, you know, threatened. And, and so it really becomes this patient safety issue. And like you said, we're all patients, we're all patients. We know yeah. patients um, and we care and we love for patients. So, there's nothing more important than protecting patients, in my my opinion. No, absolutely. I 100% agree to that. I think we believe, both of us believe totally mm -hmm, in that. Mm -hmm. And so you spoke a little bit about the Sensinet journey and your journey. Mm -hmm. But if I can ask you, you have been doing this Sensinet, uh, running Sensinet for five years. The industry also has continues to evolve, like industry is not static. So if you look at it from the industry lens and you say, how do you think the healthcare industry has evolved in the last five years? When you started in 2018 versus today, I mean, how do you think that has changed? And um, if you can shed some light on that, that'd be great. Yeah. Wow. That's a 
do you have three more hours? I mean, there's a lot happened in the last <laughs> five years. Well, I start. I started. I, I started at the end of seventeen, and um, we were getting ready to go to market in 2020, and we actually were mm. going to Hims in March of 2020. And of course, you know what happened there. I was on a plane yes. Saturday, and on Thursday they said no more Hims. Like we're going into lockdown. <laughs> Your whole world changed. Yeah. So that was, so, you know, you had the pandemic and you had to deal with that um, from an entrepreneur's perspective, which is, you know, holy cow, you're getting ready to go to market. And then all of a sudden you stop and you have to think differently about your plans, your hiring plans, how you're applying capital, how long now will this pandemic last for, which nobody knew, obviously. I mean, I was the ultimate optimist. I said, oh, three months and we'll be out of this thing. Of course, you know, it lasted yeah. much longer. And it's still, I mean, we're still having feeling the after effects of that. So so I think mm. that was one thing that didn't exist in 17. I think the other thing that, um, the the again, the hangover from the pandemic and the economic whiplash that these health systems have to deal with, in particular, um, you know, the the thinness or um, absence of any margin to drive any type of capital improvements or investments. And and as we're seeing, you know, hospitals are closing down or they're 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 collapsing or they're being acquired by larger facilities or so there's an incredible change right now that's happening in healthcare that we've I don't think we've experienced in a while. Right. So you've got that. Um in addition, you have the fact that ransomware is now top of everyone's list, right? Everyone knows and understands what ransomware is, the threat of it, and the impact it can have on on hospitals. In 17, we didn't really know it. We didn't really fully understand it. Yeah, We had ideas, we had anecdotes, but I remember um, Sensenet in, in the Poneman Institute ran a survey because I really, I was hearing people saying, oh, there's a patient safety impact. And I wasn't sure. And I wanted to see if the survey um, data would actually show that. And sure enough, I mean, it, it's qualitative survey results, but still directionally, um, it was showing that not only was there uh, impact to patient safety from diversions of ambulances, operations, lab results, but also there was an increase in mortality rates. Now, again, can you prove mm-hmm. it? Can you directly correlate it? We've seen a couple of cases, but other than that, um, no. But we still think ransomware has such a significant impact to healthcare mm. overall. And 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 we're seeing now what's happening from a regulatory perspective, right? It's driving agencies like the HHS and like CISA to come together to develop a minimal set of cybersecurity standards. Now we have HIPAA sort of the the gold standard for regulations as it relates to data but not the impact of ransomware on safety on operations right so shutting down or pausing operations or significantly impacting those organizations for for a long period of time my my health system right now is still recovering from a recent ransomware incident still not fully mm. recovered and it harkens back to mm. what happened to University of Vermont Medical Center, where they were, you know, they were still dealing with this um, incident they had for six plus months post the incident. So these these are these yeah. have really fundamental um, um, impacts to 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 healthcare that we've never seen before pre two thousand seventeen, uh, and the acceleration of that too. So you've got sort of this this 
this threat vector, which is increasing, right? Because more and more of these health systems are moving their business processes into digital form and into third-party systems, right? Either being managed to a third-party application that may be hosted by a third-party in the cloud or maybe in a in another data center. And so the whole footprint in the dynamic of managing digital assets and managing care electronically has changed significantly over the last five years. No, absolutely. I think you put it well. I think there's been so much shift, but the fundamental shift in awareness and understanding of the risk they are facing with more data available on things like ransomware has fundamentally opened the eyes ways that you couldn't imagine in 2017. And there was just a hope then like for people who are starting companies. And if I had to ask you, if you take a crystal ball, if you had a crystal ball and you, you were a crystal ball and you said, what is it that the industry is going to look like in three years from now, five years from now? What would you think that looks like? And it's obviously you're giving your view, but what does the industry look like in three to five years in your mind? Um, how does this shift? How does the landscape shift? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And, um, you know, it's, it's, I've got one of these weird, um, abilities, um, to, I think I mentioned this earlier, you know, I get to see trends and I get to predict things yes. that that'll happen. And, and oftentimes my, 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 my track record's pretty good. I say I'm batting about 800. Um, the, the challenge is the timing. <laughs> Like I may not get it wrong, but I don't always get the timing right. Right. So that's always the hardest thing to predict. Right. Especially as an entrepreneur, you've got this idea, you see a vision for how things can be done differently. And you're like, why can't everybody else see this? Well, because markets and people move incrementally for the most part, they don't necessarily move in large shifts of disruption. And as entrepreneurs, we deal in those large shifts of disruption um, in solving those problems. So with that being said, and as a disclaimer <laughs> around timing, um, you know, I've always believed and I've always been fascinated and a big fan of Amazon. Um, I've watched Amazon early on. I've been an investor in Amazon early on. I saw AWS early on before anybody else. I mean, I shouldn't say anybody else, but but before most investors did. And I went in um, in a, a big way in Amazon when they were at $50 based on Amazon, based on AWS. And I believe that Amazon AWS was going to be the infrastructure. Um, basically the, mm. the utility infrastructure like electrical is um, to, to homes mm. and things. And, and, and for the most part that's played out. Um, I've also thought, and I, a little earlier, I would say probably in the 2016, 2017, that Amazon was going to make a big impact in healthcare. And I remember when I started up the company, I went to a, I, I think it was at an advisory board meeting now, actually. It was like one of the first meetings I'd been at as a as a as a new founder of, of Sensinet. And I remember saying, and I remember the I remember the folks around the world, these uh, around the uh, table, they were uh, C, uh chief digital officers and chief information officers and SVPs, and they were all kind of scratching their head wondering like what was gonna be what was gonna happen next. And I remember raising my hand and saying something mm. like, Amazon is gonna completely disrupt your world. And of course, mm-hmm. and I thought it was going to happen <laughs> in 2020. So, so like mm. I said, my timing's off. But, but I do think the model and um, the 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 approach that that someone like an Amazon has, if Amazon really got serious about healthcare, um, I think they could actually change dramatic, drastically, dramatically the way care is delivered. And I think this notion, and I think we're starting to see a little bit of that based on some mm. of the purchases they've made and some, I mean, they've tested things out. They had this joint venture 
right? And I remember when yeah. it they disbanded it and everyone said, oh, look, Amazon failed. I'm like, no, they didn't fail. That was a test. Yeah. They learned a lot yeah. through that test with JP Morgan. They learned a lot. They're off now figuring out their learnings and applying them to their model. So don't count them out yet. And and they just uh, uh, did this one, uh, what is it? One medical, I think it's called. Um, this program. Yeah. So, so I think, yeah. So I think this notion of um, the ability to deliver care through this medium, like we're talking here on zoom with some devices in the home for diagnostics for right. For, um, for vitals. I mean, if I get to a point where I can do most of my care over uh, at home, in, in a way that um, is effective and efficient and cost-effective, like significantly drives the cost down and the economics of care down. Then really the last piece of the mile is what? It's really the the operation theater. It's like the, it's the ER, right? It's yeah. that. Yeah. So if you can solve that piece in the model, then I think you disrupt healthcare as it, as it sits today. Whether that happens now in another five years or not, I don't know. I've given, I've given up trying to, but, but I think it will happen. I think it will happen. I think the technology is at a state where you can you can you can do some really interesting things in terms of care delivery that you couldn't do, you know, five years ago. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. And I think COVID accelerated it, right? As people started getting more remote exactly. care and remote monitoring, it opened up their eyes to what is possible that allows the disruptors to come in faster. And so that timeline actually has probably been shrunk. What might have happened in 10 years now can happen in seven or five. We don't know the That's exact right. time, like you said, but I absolutely agree. I think that industry, I joke with my wife that one day all of us will be working for Amazon, Google, or Microsoft, the way they are expanding and taking yeah. over different yeah. industries. That's right. So it's interesting. Yeah. And that acceleration so is so, that acceleration is, you're, you're so spot on with that acceleration because I know the the industry was sort of, you know, dealing with telehealth at the fringe, you know, yes. sort of at the edges. And yes. all of a sudden it became like, that's how we're going to deliver care. And it, it's right. almost like I'm scratching my head. Like, why didn't we keep pushing that forward? Why are we sort of backing off on, on telehealth? Yeah. You know, I still, it's, it's, but it's interesting how markets move. It's never a straight line up, right? It's always sort of a right. up, down a little, up a little, down a little, then back up. And then there's major movements. And so I, I still think that, um, you know, there'll be interesting things over the next couple of years that Amazon um, brings to market and others that are, that are certainly trying to follow in the Amazon um, strategy, if you will, with healthcare. No, absolutely. Right. And I think that's why it's so hard to predict timing because it depends on external forces, which you cannot yeah. say for certain. That's right. So now if you had to go back to yourself and Sensenet, you know, you have done a lot of great things. If you had to go back and change one thing, hmm. maybe you would not change anything, but if you had to go back and change one thing in your journey with Sensinet, what do you think that might be? And if there's nothing, you can just say, you know, everything that you wanted, you've done. But if you had to pick just one thing, what would that be? What would be the biggest thing you would probably would have changed in the last five years if you had to go back and redo it all? Yeah, a great question. There, there's a book that I always recommend to entrepreneurs. It's called The Hard Thing, The Hard Thing About Hard Things. And um, yeah, it's a great book. It's a great book. It's in the uh, the, the Horowitz of Andreessen Horowitz, uh, yeah. Ben Horowitz wrote it. Um, and um, I remember reading it the first time thinking, wow, not only are there 
phenomenal musical references and I love music. And so I really enjoyed the writing style and the references to music, but, but just the way that the stories were told about the challenges of being an entrepreneur and things to consider when you're an entrepreneur in the trenches, not academically, not at a very high level, but really like when you go to hire your sales leader, like think deeply about that individual and hire for process, like hire someone that really understands the, the, the process of building a startup and the process of not being able, the, the ability to build a sales process and sell at the same time without saying, oh, well, I did this here, then I'm going to do the same thing at your company because it worked at the last company. Because mm. it's never that it's never that easy, right? If it were, we'd just pull mm. a book off the shelf, we would read it, and then we would apply the, the you know the sales practices. You know, it's no surprise that every year it seems like there's a new sales methodology out there, right? And so someone's written mm. another book about selling. It's crazy. So it's never that easy. And I think, you know, even though he said it in the book, and I read the book, I read the book over and over. I read it a couple of times over and over because I always found like, oh, I didn't miss that the first the first read. Man, I violated the first principle, which is the 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 founder is the best salesperson. In a startup, yeah. the founder is the best salesperson, and, and and I don't think I'm a great salesperson. And by the way, I've sold before. I don't particularly like. It's a. I was just talking to one of our salespeople today. It's the hardest job in the company. I think selling. It's the yes, hard, because absolutely, you have, I agree. Yeah, you've got to have that thick skin, that shield, and you got to do it every single mm. day. You got to be told no every single day until you know somebody says, "Uh, maybe." And then you get all excited, right? Mm. And you got to be that internal optimist. And and it is such a hard job. And 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 when you're starting up, you don't have even, you haven't even figured out your sales motion. You haven't even figured out your key messages. You don't even know if you have product market fit yet. And so I got really excited because I closed a bunch of deals in the in the beginning. And I thought, oh, this will be easy because if I can do it, anybody can do it. <laughs> That's unfortunately wasn't the case. And I, I, you know, and I, it wasn't, and we'd hired a bunch of people uh, figuring we could scale up quickly, faster than we were ready. And we weren't ready. And it wasn't about the, the individuals. They were, they were very good individuals. They were great people. They fit the culture. We weren't ready for them. And I missed it. And I missed it. So that's, that was a big learning for me. And, um, and uh, you know, that would be one thing I would do over again. I would have, I would have continued selling, um, and uh, which would have led me right into the pandemic, which would have been fine because, again, things slowed down. And what I ended up doing was, um, based on my board, I have a great board, great board of advisors. I mean, really blessed with the the expertise um, at the board level. They see a number of different things, and they quickly said, "All right, you keep selling, and you should hire a product person, a product leader, to help you out." And I was like, because product is my first love. I'm like, no, I don't want to give away product. No, no, no. But they were right. Absolutely correct. And I was able to hire someone who was even better than me. This our, our chief product officer, Paul Russell, who I worked with at Improvada. And he ended up going to a, an AI company at the time. And just timing worked out. And he joined the company. And he made the product so much better than I would have ever made it. And so, but again, it was all like pandemic. Without the pandemic, I wouldn't have Paul 
right? It probably would have hired a sales, another sales leader because thinking, well, it's maybe it's the sales team. Well, it wasn't the sales team. We weren't ready. We needed more time. We needed more product market fit time. And um, we got that with Paul Russell. Thank you. And thank you for the transparency. That's a really honest answer. And, you know, like you said, timing for an entrepreneur is the hardest thing to get right. And I think you nailed it. Like that is one of the hardest decisions, when to hire, when not to hire, when to do something, when not to do something. And that's something we all grapple with all the time. So we are almost out of time. I will have a couple of quick rapid fire questions, 30 second yeah. answers, you know, if you can answer. So one fun fact about yourself outside of Sentinel, something mm -hmm. that, you know, listeners should know, like something fun about yourself that nobody knows. Sure. Gar, I've got a lot know. of fun facts about me. Um, <laughs> I'm so sure. <laughs> I'll give you. I'll give you a couple. Uh, I am a poet, and I. Oh wow! Uh, well, and and most poets would say you never call yourself a poet, <laughs> but I love poetry. I'm a, I'm a student of poetry. Uh, how, how about that? And I've been writing poetry since mm -hmm. an early age. And I've actually, I'm working with a couple of mentors that are helping me. Um, fine tune my my writing skills and also get me published. So that's happening. Uh, nice. Yeah, in the in the waking hours when I can find time. But I wish I could. I could wish I could put more time into it. But um, yeah, my I I I have a lot of um, passions that re revolve around writing. I've also got a couple of screenplays that I had in the process before I started Sensenet. I put those on wow. hold. And uh, of course, a uh, big fan of the Grateful Dead. So I am going to five shows this year. I cannot wait. Next week, I'm going to two shows in New York and then two shows in Fenway in Boston. So, Wow. I mean, that's an uh, interesting life. You know, I wish I had more interesting things to talk about in my personal life. So I think that is something to look at. Oh, you, um, you you have something very interesting, and and I cannot wait for our listener uh, for for the Sensenet podcast listeners to hear about your riskiest <laughs> thing you've ever done. So we won't talk about that yeah, now. I think that was fun. <laughs> that was <laughs> that was really interesting. Was Thank you. And so, there's one last question: What mm -hmm. advice would you give uh, to our to our listeners, either from a security side or an entrepreneur, whoever is listening to the podcast? If you had to give a piece of advice, what would that be? Yeah, commit commit yourself to being a um, you know a a lifelong learner. Um, um, you know, always always learn, always keep learn. You know, keep learning. Um, keep um, um, you know, recognize that you you don't have all the answers, and that's okay. Um, um, there are a lot of smart people out there, just know where to go. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, for me, it's always been it's it's a lifelong journey of learning, and I love it. I mean, that to me is what what makes life really interesting. Um, and I think secondly, don't, you know, don't take your, don't take yourself too seriously. I think that's where we, mm. get, we get ourselves into trouble when we get, um, you know, we lose that hubris. Um, we get, uh, you know, uh, in humility, if you will, we, we get, uh, we get ahead of our skis. So um, I guess those are probably two things since you put me on the spot there that I could come up with. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great piece of advice. Ed, and I agree wholeheartedly with both. Um, so thank you, Ed, for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure from my side. I hope you enjoyed having the discussion as well, Ed. Um, and I'm pretty sure every listener who listens to this will learn something more about Sentinet, will learn about your views of the industry, and hopefully a little bit about, uh, you know, how they should think about uh, the industry and career as well. So thank you so much. Um, and, uh, you know, we will look forward to more discussions. Yeah, thank, thank, thank you. you for having me today. It's been a pleasure.